see, this is how Christianity is very different from these two religions or worldviews. All of the work in Christianity comes post-salvation, whereas in these worldviews, you have to, everything's pre-salvation. This is what you do in order to attain some kind of a salvation. Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast. Hey, welcome to the In Doubt Podcast show. My name is Isaac, and I'm with Jake today. Yeah. Jake with longer hair now. Yeah, you actually do have longer hair. Yeah, I'm pretty proud of it. It's grown pretty. It's like kind of like a chia pet. Like I just put some water on it and just it's sprouted like, it right out of my head. It looks good. Yeah. And you even said like you like it. Yeah, no, I'm happy hat. and I don't get a hat head. Yeah. And I wear hats a lot. So yeah, it's, it's a plus. That's awesome. Yeah, it's good. Um, hey, so Canada Day is coming up on Friday. Yes, Canada Day. Yeah. So have you heard about the whole like change in lyrics? Yeah, I did. I was a little bit shocked by it actually because I didn't really know anything about it. And then my brother told me yesterday actually about it. I was a little bit, yeah, I was shocked and a little bit confused as well. Well, well, isn't I thought maybe we should just sing it and see how it sounds. Sing it? Yeah. What is the lyric? Uh, it's instead of in all thy son's command, it's in all of us command. Okay. All right. So, oh, Canada. Our home and native land, true patriots love, in all of us command. Okay, you it's know, it weird, could, though. It does, the well, grammar is a little odd. The grammar is a little weird, a little bit. And we're just so used to singing in all thy son's command. That's right? true. It's but very whatever. gender inclusive now. It is gender inclusive. Well, I hope all of you guys have a good Canada Day. Go watch some fireworks somewhere if you live in a place where Need some beaver tails. Some beaver tails. That's Those are right. delicious. Hey, we're in a brand new series this week called A Look at the Gods. And the, the whole point of this series is to look at some of the biggest kind of worldviews, prominent religions, and kind of get us to get a basic of what they're all about. So on the podcast today, we actually got to talk with Steve Kim had a conversation with him and he kind of gave uh, sort of these brief, like literally like 10 minutes and 10 minutes, 10 minutes on Buddhism, right? Yeah. Like the, just kind of dipped our toes into what that is all about. Yeah. And then also in Confucianism, which a lot of people might not even be familiar with, but it's huge in China and Korea and all these yeah. different places. The Costco sampling of religions. The Costco, exactly. Just yeah. taking a little bit. So let's listen to this conversation and then uh, Jake and I will come back and wrap it up. I'm in the studio today with Steve Kim. Hello. Hello, yes. An associate of Paul Jacks Canada. It's good to have you with us again. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Yeah, I, had a, I had a really good time last time, so this is good to be back. Yeah, I think it was a few series ago now, uh, Steve was in to talk to us about worldviews, kind of about um, the different ways and how to kind of engage people with different worldviews as well. Right. It was, it was really good. If you haven't had a chance, actually, you should go listen to those at indo.ca. Very, very informative. Um, I want to just jump right into this. Um, we're in a series, A Look at the Gods, kind of talking about different prominent religions all around the world, kind of getting a little bit of a history, but also a uh, their kind of their beliefs as well. Um, so you have come to talk to us about Buddhism and also Confucianism. Right. I grew up in a Christian home in Korea, but um, my grandparents and my father, they used to be Buddhist, uh, pretty uh, devout ones from what I understand. But uh, my grandmother had something of a, a life crisis, uh, eventually settled down in a Roman Catholic church, hmm. brought the rest of the family to the Lord, and I was born after that. But my some of my extended family members, they're still Buddhist even to this day. And in Korea, Buddhism is still very strong. Hmm. Um, and growing up, I went to a Buddhist 
private middle school, just like you have, you know, Christian private schools yeah. here. You know, we have Buddhist middle schools. And so um, that that was an interesting experience. So all that is to say, growing up, I had a lot of Buddhism around mm-hmm. me, and I grew up with this very acute sense that my worldview isn't the only game in town. Right. Um, so uh, sometime later, I took some interest in Buddhism, and I started researching into it uh, a little bit more, uh, especially while I was studying at Biola. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I wrote a number of papers on that topic cool. uh, and things like that. That's awesome. So wh- why don't you just just jump in and tell us the kind of the brief history, if right. you could brief. I don't know if brief can can happen that way, but of, of Buddhism. Yeah, uh, Buddhism as we know it today, it starts with Gautama Buddha in India. He was a prince of a northeastern Indian kingdom called Shakya. And this was, he was born around, scholars are kind of split on this. Some say that he was born around 500 BC. Okay. Others say somewhere around 400 BC. But whatever the case, he was born, he was a prince. As the story goes, when he was born, some soothsayers, there, there was this prophecy saying that he can either become a mighty king or he'll become a spiritual leader and save a lot of people. And his father, uh, wanting him to become a king like like him, mm-hmm. uh, kind of sheltered him in in this um, in the palace. So Startha Gautama, as his name was okay. known back then, he he had all kinds of luxury that one could possibly ask for. So he lived a very sheltered life. Uh, then the story goes that uh, one day he went on an excursion, and uh, that's where he saw four things. One was an old man. And the next was a sick man. And then the third one was a dead man. Now, for somebody who grew up without any sort of contact with that sort of a thing, this was very shocking to him. There's suffering in the world, right? Right. But then the fourth person that he met was was a hermit, a monk. In his encounter with him, he's convinced that he needs to leave his castle, his Mm. palace. So he becomes an ascetic. So in his asceticism, he didn't find the answers that he wanted. So he experienced all the luxuries in the palace. There's no answer there. He went to the other extreme. He right. was an ascetic. Right. No answer there. And then he struck what's known as the middle way. And and the key sort of tenets of Buddhism uh, revolves around the Four Noble Truths, what's known as the Four Noble Truths. Uh, the first one is the doctrine of suffering. All is suffering. Okay. Now, this is based on the understanding that nothing in this world is permanent. Everything is impermanent. And, and so if you cling to it, that'll bring suffering. So the the Buddha taught that all is suffering. And the cause of the suffering, so this is a second doctrine, the cause of the suffering is our desire. It's often translated as desire, but it's probably more accurate to say clinging or attachment, mm, okay. right? Because everything is impermanent for you to be attached to it. You're going to eventually lose it, right. whatever you're attached to, mm-hmm. whether it's your family or your material possessions or whatever, right? Um, and so then the third doctrine says that uh, the cessation of suffering mm-hmm. is now, it becomes the goal. And okay. then the fourth doctrine is how to get there. And that is the, basically it says to follow the eightfold path. Okay. Um, so just as you think, you know, okay, I got it down to four. No, the yeah. fourth one says, no, you got to follow these eightfold paths. Right, okay. Um, but anyway, it basically, the eightfold path basically says that you, you start with the right understanding of the world, which leads to the right views about the world. And then it has 
like practical implications in your speech and your act mm-hmm. and, and and things like that in your okay. livelihood. And then that will lead you eventually into right effort and right contemplation and meditation. Sorry, meditation first and then contemplation and things okay. like that. So it has very much the idea that you need to understand the world accurately. Right. Uh, what is what is the world like? Well, again, it, it's impermanent. And so it, unless you understand the world accurately – then you're going to start clinging to things, and that's going to cause suffering. Okay. Eventually, you'll lose it. Andy Steiger, the guy, the guy that I work for mm-hmm. uh, at Apologetics Canada, he said one Buddhist monk explained it to him like this: Our selves, right? Mm-hmm. Our self is actually something of an anomaly. It's not supposed to happen. So think of an ocean. Mm-hmm. That is what the world is like. Mm-hmm. And there's a wave that comes out of it that arises out of it. That's your self-consciousness, yourself, okay. right? Uh, and that's not supposed to happen. You're supposed to go back into the ocean. Right. And that's the goal. So when you cease to desire, when you cease to cling to things, right. then that'll put an end to your – you're basically trapped in the wheel of reincarnation, right? Because of your clinging, you keep right. coming back to this life to suffer more. Right. So then what happens is when you s- cease to desire, right. that breaks the chain that perpetuates the wheel of reincarnation, okay. and you reach what's called nirvana. Right. And here's the very interesting thing. A lot of the times uh, people think, well, nirvana is this really peaceful state. And in uh, a main one of the main branches of Buddhism called Mahayana Buddhism, which is very popular in Far East Asia, right? Okay. China, Japan. Korea and things like that, they actually talk about nirvana as the state of eternal bliss. Right. But actually, that that becomes a bit of a problem because, see, here's the thing with Eastern philosophies. Eastern philosophies tend to run into a lot of problems with incoherence Mm. because one of the distinctive doctrines of Buddhism is this doctrine called anatman. Okay. No self doctrine. In other words, you don't have a soul. We are basically aggregates of five things that are constantly in flux. So we have this illusion that we're here, that we're, um, but we actually don't exist mm. as selves. Right. And what what you want is for you to cease to exist, right. cease to desire, so that you'll stop suffering. Right. Breaks the chain of reincarnation, and you're released from this world. Right. And then the wave kind of distilled down into the ocean now. Right. So okay. you kind of like you're like a drop of water. Right. In a in a bucket kind of a thing, right? right? So it is a very different view from, say, Christianity that teaches that there is God right. who created the world yeah. and he created you in his image and you have a soul, right? Right. And so in Christianity, the, the view of humanity is actually very high, right. despite the, the misconception that Christianity has a low view of human beings because of the doctrine of sin. Mm-hmm. Even the doctrine of the original sin and things like that that actually highlights the the value of human beings, mm. right? The human beings are the kinds of things that can actually either be with God or turn away from God, right. hence sin, right? So um, whereas in Buddhism, it, it's very problematic because, well, it, for one, it has a very low view of the world. You want to get out of here. Yeah. And a uh, low view of humanity because you're just, you can be reduced to these five uh, exactly. aggregates and things like that. And then the problem is, well, what is it that comes back 
in the cycle of reincarnation, right. you don't have a self, so it's not you. And if the doctrine of anatman is accurate, then that, that means you are literally moment, from one moment to the next, you're a different person. Mm. Um, so then how do you make sense of morality and moral accountability? Uh, if I murder somebody, I'm literally a different person in the next moment and right. things like that. Obviously, this is a very, uh, we're just scratching the surface here, but that should give you a, a sort of a gist yeah. of what Buddhism is like. And obviously, there are uh, different sects of Buddhism, um, so I can't go into all of that today. If anybody wants to talk about this with me, uh, just give me a shout. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. Thank you so much, Steve. And just, just to give us a ballpark, Buddhism in, in, in all its sects, how, how uh, widespread is that over the... Uh population of the world do you think? um i don't i don't have the exact number but it, it's fairly significant okay um it's it's not as big as uh christianity or islam right. by any stretch of the imagination but it has a very wide influence uh in, throughout asia yeah especially and now it's making its inroad into the west it has been for the last century or so now right. um so it, it is gaining more popularity yeah it, uh, and then it, it manifests itself in some different forms too, because a lot of the New Age thinking borrows from Eastern religions like Buddhism and right. Hinduism. Different elements of that, right? Reincarnation yeah. and things like that. All right. Well, let's let's move right from uh, Buddhism into this other religion uh, of Confucianism, if it is actually a religion. Yeah, that is a very good uh, good point because Confucianism, de depending on how you look at it, you can look at it as a religion. Or you can look at it more as a social philosophy. Mm. And I, I grew up in South Korea, and Korea is arguably the most Confucian country in the world uh, because it has such a big impact in Korea. At some point, it was the state religion in Korea and things like that. So that really kind of formed the, the basis of their social interactions and things like that, and that remains to this day. So, for example, Confucianism is very much a hierarchical system. You okay. have your place uh, and you ought to do as your sort of role dictates, right? And so what that means is, uh, for example, I'm the youngest of the three. Okay. I have an older sister, older brother, and then myself. I can't call my older siblings by their names. That would be considered very offensive and rude. I address them with certain titles. Mm. So I call my sister Nuna, which is a Korean word for older sister. I don't call her Jenny. Or, well, in English maybe, but I would certainly not call her by her Korean name. Right. Uh, same thing with my brother. I, I say Hyung to re refer to him. Uh, little things like that. So in the West, you are equal with your siblings. In Confucian societies, that's not true. You're not equal to your older siblings. Right? Right. So very much hierarchical okay. sort of a thing. So I guess just to give a very brief <laughs> history of yeah, Confucianism. Exactly. How, yeah, how did it start? Yeah, uh, Confucianism is basically a way of life propagated by Confucius. Um, Confucius came around, I, I believe, let's see, I have my notes here, <laughs> 551 to 479 BC. This is right in, in the history of China. This is right around what's known as the spring and autumn period. Okay. And this was a period in China's history when the whole country was divided into over a hundred little states okay. all vying for power. So there was a lot of social chaos. Mm. Uh, the lords of each state, they were ruling with 
an iron fist, right? So they were ruling their their people with fear and fear of punishment and uh, lots of uh, uh, usurpation happening uh, and, and things like that. So this is the setting in which Confucius comes. And what he thought was, well, this is this kind of social chaos happens because people are not sticking to their roles. Children are rebelling against their parents. Uh, teachers are not teaching their students like teachers should teach. Say that 10 times fast. Or the <laughs> rulers are not ruling the subjects with compassion like they should, and the subjects are, are rebelling against their sovereign. So things like that. So what he thought was, uh, we all need to cultivate ourselves. We need to educate ourselves and cultivate ourselves toward a perfect, harmonious society. So that that was sort of the end goal for Confucius. He he wanted to have a have a perfect, harmonious society. If you yeah. study at least the early forms of Confucianism, you don't really see any discussions on the the, the origin of the world, the origin right. of humanity, or things yeah. like that. It's and, more and so, of this social structure or method right. for har harmonious living and within community. And there was one, this one particular dynasty called Zhou Dynasty um, back in the um, about 1000 to 200 BC, right around that time. And a lot of people, as with a lot of people, Confucius looked to the Zhou Dynasty as sort of the ideal society. And so mm. all of his um, sort of social etiquette and things like that, they kind of they're cast against the Zhou dynasty to see whether okay. they're any good or not. Interesting. And so Confucius was very concerned with the morality of people. Right. So Aristotle was asked, well, what is man? He said, man is uh, a rational animal. Okay. If you were to ask the same question to Confucius, he would have said, man is a moral animal. Hmm. So he was very much sort of consumed with developing character, okay. developing virtue and things like that. I think he would have gotten along really well with Aristotle because Aristotle was also very much into developing virtue and things mm -hmm. like that. Although I think they would have probably disagreed in in some ways on what actually counts as virtue. Mm. That's partly a problem with virtue ethics. Uh, right. Well, who gets to decide what virtue is? Yeah. <laughs> At any rate, um, what Confucius said was the end goal is to have a harmonious society and to do that each member of the society have to play their own roles. And, and to do that, they also need to kind of develop themselves, cultivate themselves, cultivate this trait called ren. Ren in Confucianism is kind of like love in Christianity. This is the highest ideal that you can achieve as a human being. So when you have ren, then you can be said to have virtue. Well, how do you get there? You get there by observing the li or propriety or etiquette and things like that. So these are the social norms that you must conform to in mm. order to develop this trait called Ren. But to do that, you need to have this, again, this kind of disposition called Xiao, or often translated as filial piety. Okay. In Korean, it's called Hyo. And that, that Hyo, it was, it was a very critical thing even growing up. This is, your, this is how you view your parents. This is your piety, if you will, towards your parents. Right. And so in Confucian societies, you'll see a very heavy emphasis on respect for the right. elders. Mm -hmm. And this is partly where this comes from. But to have this disposition called Xiao, you need to educate yourself. Hmm. So he, he's saying, there's a person who needs to be educated in order to cultivate Xiao, mm -hmm. which then helps him to conform to Li, 
right. the the propriety, which then uh, kind of cultivates this trait called ren, right. uh, often translated humanity or benevolence and things right. like that. And when you reach that point, you can be said to have virtue. Mm. Um, and when everybody has that kind of virtue, then we create a harmonious society and things like that. Um, and so that that's the long and the short of it. Now, if you look at different Confucian societies, you'll, you'll find that this Li right. plays out in different ways. Uh, some are just little social etiquettes. Right. So for example, I, I was taught to stand up when an elder walked into the room. Mm-hmm. So it's not cool to just kind of sit there and see him come in. I, I am to stand up and wait until, say, my father, who just came to the room, sits down and tells me to sit down. Then I sit down. Right. Another one that I'm kind of trying to enforce in my own home is around dinner table, for example, whenever you eat. Right. Uh, I was not to take my first bite until my grandfather or my father had the first bite. So whoever is the eldest, they right. get to take their first bite. Yeah. And then you come to. So me being the youngest in the family, I'm always the last. Right. I'm just kind of waiting. I'm like, I'm starving. Just get going already. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and, and so little things like that. So okay. when you. For example, if you go into like, oh, I don't know, McDonald's or something like that, and the guy working at the till or the gal working at the till is an Asian, yeah. um, especially if, if they're Korean, chances are when they hand you the receipt, they'll hand it to you with two hands. Oh. Right? When you pass something, you always use two hands to show respect to somebody. When you give, use just one hand, you might do that to somebody who's younger than you. Right. But uh, as well as the customer, you're sort of on the... Right. So this is where uh, sort of the Western capitalism meets right. Confucianism, yeah, right? Yeah. So the customer, even though they may be younger, all of a sudden they're over you, right? right. So you use both hands, little things like that. Um, other times the Li manifests itself in certain rituals that you do. Okay. Um, my, my father passed away uh, in February of 1996. And ever since he passed away, every year in February, my siblings and I got together to have this little ritual uh, called jesa in Korean. And it's just, uh, um, we prepare a table full of food and we have a picture of our father there and with some candles and incense and everything. Uh, we take bows and things like that. Not necessarily to worship him, that's not the point, but we just kind of remember him right. in this act, right? Yeah. So when Christianity first came into Korea, this sort of jesa, this kind of ritual was actually discouraged because it was understood to be some kind of ancestor worship. Right. But And there was probably some element of that in there too. But later, especially in the Catholic Church, it, it came to be recognized as, oh, you know, you're just, you're just remembering your ancestors. Right, right. So Catholics, they have less problem with it. Protestants, they're still... Yeah, exactly. Bit, uh, I don't know. This, this is too much like ancestor right. worship. So, so in Confucianism then, is Confucius seen as like the ultimate sort of model... Or is he just simply the guy that started it, this um, idea of thinking? He is regarded very highly. He's not regarded like, say, Muhammad is regarded okay. in Islam because, I mean, in, in Islam, uh, in some places, like they, the, um, for example, Nabil Qureshi, who comes from a long line of Islamic missionaries who is now a Christian, yeah. he will tell you that when he went into the bathroom as a Muslim, he always put his left foot in first because that's how Muhammad entered mm. bathrooms and things like that. Um, and there's a story of um, this uh, Islamic scholar in India, I believe, 
uh, who couldn't eat mangoes because he couldn't establish from all of the scriptures and hadiths and things like that which way Muhammad would have cut this open first, oh right? So little things. I mean, that's a bit of an extreme case, right. but that's the kind of reverence they have for Muhammad. Right. Confucius isn't so much like that, okay. but he is nonetheless regarded very highly, and he is considered as sort of the father of the Chinese culture. Wow. Uh, and although Confucianism was very much kind of reviled during the Cultural Revolution in China in the 70s, now it's making something of a com comeback. Mm. So you might see even in the Vancouver area, things like the Confucius Institute and things like that. Mm. So it's making something of a comeback. But uh, yeah, but the, the interesting thing is, see, this is how Christianity is very different from these two religions or worldviews. Because in Buddhism, obviously, you need to, especially in the earlier forms of Buddhism, you were taught to rely on yourself. Yeah. So you have to go through the eightfold path to reach nirvana, right. a cessation of desire, which right. leads to the cessation of suffering because you don't exist anymore uh, and, and things like that. And it's only later way after Christianity came on the scene, you start to see something a little bit more like the bodhisattvas. They, they, in Mahayana Buddhism, the bodhisattvas, these very particular beings, they, they will be able to help you reach nirvana and things like that. Um, but at the end of the day, it's still very much on you to right. attain nirvana. Yeah, And that's obviously very different from Christianity that teaches the doctrine of grace. There is nothing you can do. Yeah. Everything has been done for you. Exactly. You just need to trust in Jesus. Yeah. And that has very, so all of the work in Christianity comes post salvation. Yeah. Whereas in these worldviews, you have to, everything is pre salvation. This yes. is what you do in order to attain yes. some kind of a salvation. And also, another thing is that you, your anthropology or your view of human beings is very different. Right. Uh, I think one of the reasons why Confucianism failed as a religion is that it, it's very optimistic about mm -hmm. human beings. It's true, yeah. Uh, so you just need to, if you just educate yourself, you'll become a moral person. Um, and we know in our experience, some of the most educated people are the most <laughs> evil people that we know. Exactly. I mean, who who caused, for example, the the global economic meltdown back in the 2000s? Or, or whatever, if you, uh, from what I understand, uh, these are people with like Harvard education, not, not to say that Harvard is a bad school or anything like that, but no. these are highly educated elites who, uh, through their greed, uh, instigated, yeah. uh, gave a spark to this uh, global economic meltdown and things like that, right? And, and so the, I think that's why Confucianism failed. In fact, Mencius, who is another very important figure in Confucianism, mm -hmm. he thought that human beings were basically good. Mm -hmm. So you just need to remove the sort of environmental factors, so to yeah. speak. Yeah, exactly. Right? And, and just kind of restore that innate goodness, yeah. then then that's how we get to get to the harmonious society and that sort of a thing. And I think Christianity is definitely accurate in how it views human beings. Mm -hmm. Just give people enough of a pressure yeah. and you'll see them crack morally. Uh, and I can freely confess that myself. And and I think that's why we can we can have this high degree of assurance yeah. that, 
yes, God will save us. It's not dependent on us yeah. to attain salvation. It is just given to us, so it's not going anywhere because it's rooted in a God that doesn't change, right? Yeah, exactly. And that gives me a great sense of comfort and reassurance knowing that I can't lose this. I know there are some different views on that, whether you can lose your salvation or not, but I, I am convinced right now that, yeah, no, you can't lose salvation, and that's what Christianity teaches. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Steve. we got to stop there, obviously, Um, but that was amazing that you were able to kind of talk about history and some of the ideas and beliefs of Buddhism and Confucianism in such a short period of time. Yeah, I know that it was very gift. quick. Oh no, that's okay. I hope uh, I hope the listeners have just sort of had a sort of a taste, even if it's just a scrape of just some information. And um, and obviously to our listeners, uh, Steve is a part of Apologetics Canada, and uh, you can head to apologeticscanada.com to listen to their podcast and to find out tons of different. Uh, articles and resources and yeah. and everything that discuss different uh, worldviews and how the Christian worldview truly is true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So anyways, thank you so much, Steve, and I hope to see you back here soon. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, that was a conversation I had with Steve Kim from Apologetics Canada, uh, giving us a really quick rundown but good, yeah, really good of Buddhism and Confucianism. And if we just quickly look at Buddhism, and we can actually talk about both. <clears throat> There's this idea that you know Buddhism, for instance, Siddhartha Gautama, this you know the guy, That's a good pronunciation. There. Thank you, thank you. He goes away from his privileged home, and then he sees suffering. Right, yeah. he sees people growing old. He sees death. He sees all these. And he sees suffering. And then the whole point of Buddhism is to cease suffering. Yeah. Right? Because they can see this yeah. suffering. And then you think of Confucianism and this guy, Confucius, he sees disorderly conduct and he doesn't like that. So then yeah. he sets up this sort of hierarchy of obedience and authority to cease suffering. Mm-hmm. And and the incredible thing about that, I'll relate it back again to Christianity. And I really, I really felt this when he was talking about the story between the father and the son in Buddhism mm. and that how he could have been a king or he could have been a um, what he became in yeah. Buddhism. Um, and, and what his dad wanted to do was keep him away from the suffering, yeah. you know, make him, build him up to be this king, this figure, yeah. um, and keep him away from that stuff. And and whether it's well, with the Confucianism as well, take away from this disorderly conduct or whatever it yeah. is that we do. And then you look at Christianity and it's like almost a complete opposite. Yeah. Here you have a father who's the king above everything, right. who has a son who's also God, yeah. you know, in the Trinity. And and they're 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 creator and son and right. and all powerful, mm-hmm. and they you know they could have everything they do have it all you know all the goodness all the love, and what the father says isn't no I want to keep you here so you can be a king over these people. Right. What I want you to do is to go down amongst them. Yeah. In their chaos yeah. and in their pain and in their suffering. Right. And I want you to put on that suffering. That's a good I want you to wear it. You know, I don't want you to stay away from it or try to lead us away from the suffering. I want you to be amidst them. Right. So they know that their creator, their Lord, their God cares about them so much, loves them so much that he would lower himself yeah. to be amongst you. Yeah. To save you. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good analogy. Just, I never even thought about that, the idea of the father and the son, Buddha, Siddhartha, right? Yeah. But then also the father and the son and how we, rather than Buddhism, where it's like, they do everything they can to cease suffering. Mm. The scriptures tell us that we are to follow Christ's example yeah. of suffering. 
Well, that wraps up the Indope podcast. If you want to connect with us, please do it. We got a Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter, all that. You can uh, talk to us. We'd love to hear from you. If you have stories about this stuff as well, we'd love to hear. If you're maybe you're an ex-Buddhist or maybe you are a Buddhist, you want to talk to us about what we've talked about, we would love that. So do that. And uh, other than that, I'm Isaac. I'm Jake. And this is the Indope podcast. The InDoubt Podcast is a part of Back to the Bible Canada's Young Adult Ministry, InDoubt. All of Back to the Bible Canada's ministry programs and resources are created for the purpose of leading people forward in their walk with Jesus every day. For more information on all things Back to the Bible Canada, visit backtothebible.ca.